if you have uh, questions that are not related to what we talked about, that's fine too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Dan and I are, uh, like Dan mentioned, oop, I'm not going to lean against that. I almost knocked that over. <laughs> uh, yeah, Dan and I are both, uh, you know, like, like he mentioned, we're in the Bible all the time. It's what we do for a living. So, yeah, you know, whatever questions are on your mind, we'll do our best uh, to address them and give you something that sounds rational, logical, and hopefully accurate. Nothing about the, the ne- nothing about the Nephilim. That's the only thing that's offered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nephilim's are way above. Not doing the Nephilim. Yeah. So feel free, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the first to say that. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so it, you're asking loca- location or what I think you're asking is where is it at today? So long story short, uh, in, uh, I had mentioned we lost about 70% of our people, uh, during COVID year in 2020. And after a few, we, we were actually the first Protestant church to get back together for in-person services in the city. That was part of the reason that I was uh, hopeful and optimistic, like, well, maybe, you know, just all those who have been locked up in their apartments would be desperate to get together that we'd be able to, you know, have some new people join us. But that didn't happen. And uh, the reality was because of the expenses of meeting in the city, I don't know if you know this, but New York is a little, it's a little pricey. Uh, it's, a, it's a little pricey, you know, like, I'll give you, this is true. My apartment, we got a deal on the apartment where we were at. I mean, we were paying about 35% of what the going rate was for the apartment, and we paid $4,166 a month. So we were, and, and everybody around us is like, oh, dude, how'd you get such a deal? You know, this was the way it was. There. So that gives you a sense of how expensive it was. Well, renting church property, all that stuff, same thing. So when you lose 70% of your people, and everybody else in the country is locked down too. And so churches that have traditionally supported us through the years were no longer able to send in gifts. We couldn't make it. So November 2020, we held our last service. The church closed. I, uh, you know, sent people off and connected them into different congregations in the city, which, again, none of whom were meeting at the time. So it was like, well, go to this Zoom meeting, you know, which, ugh, you know, but... This is what we had to do at the time. I Thankfully, I'm still in contact with a number of people that were a part of that church. Um, but, yeah, we did close in November 2020. Yeah, so that's the short answer to your question. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think, well, I know there were 10 other church plants that I had started with at the same time, and eight of them closed in 2020. So the, the city got hit very, very hard. Okay, Becky DeBose. I've always always wondered why the why are the parables so hard to understand? They're they're like more like riddles to me than than parables, and it seems like you always have to have someone to interpret it for you. And, and I would imagine it was the same back then as it is now. I mean, at least to me. Some of them I, I can't fathom, you know, until someone like you interprets it. Yeah, um, 
Well, Jesus actually says that uh, that he speaks in parables to be confusing, which is kind of a weird statement. I mean, he will say, uh, I don't say anything to anyone without a parable so that those who have ears to hear might hear and those who don't, don't. Now, that's not very reassuring if you're like, I don't understand them, though. What does that mean for me? Um, I, I think I think what it is is that so, some of it is uh, there's a context that that maybe we struggle with. I think there's some parables where we're like, okay, I have to try to put myself in a time and place where some of these example illustrations that he's using don't aren't as natural to me. But I think that Jesus just and God in general loves doing this. That He loves being a storyteller. And he wants to give you these sort of interesting things. And I think that I think that the struggle that we have with interpreting the parables is that usually the interpretation of them is not what we're looking for. So in other words, he tells a story and we're immediately like, what do I need to get out of the story so I know what to do? Like, what am I supposed to learn from this? And Ultimately, the parables, he's just telling you that, listen, because we supposed to be talking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God works in ways that are very, very difficult to understand because they're not what would come natural to you. And so as opposed to just saying that, he just tells you all kinds of stories about that. Like, this is what it's like. It's like this. And you're like, that's that's weird. I don't understand that. He's like, yeah, you, you wouldn't understand it because it's backwards. It's. It's not, it's not the way that you would ever choose to do it. And so, and I think, I think, I think that sometimes there's a, I might get, I might get in trouble for this, but, um, I think with biblical interpretation, there is a pressure, and this is a uniquely sort of American thing. So we put pressure on regular Christians. Um, that they should be able to pick up their Bible, read it, and understand everything. This is, and by the way, this is not me saying that regular, everyday Christians shouldn't read the Bible. But you do have to understand that that is a very new idea. I mean, the, like, the general public only had the scriptures for, the, for less than 500 years, and people even have a copy of the scriptures in their house that they could ever read. Forever, you had... People who were trained to do that, right? Now, I think that that's a bad thing because you have too much power in the hands of some people that would be like, hey, you're, you're not going to be able to read this. I'll, I'll read it and explain it and all this kind of stuff. However, I, I try to on a regular basis sort of free regular everyday Christians who didn't study the biblical languages, who have other jobs and vocations, who just love Jesus and love the word and want to be preached to and let them off the hook that it's, it is, uh, it's an unrealistic expectation that if you're, if it's not your job to understand the scriptures, that you will understand all the scriptures. You, and nobody should feel bad about it. Uh, I think, I think that it's great that, the, that lay people read the scriptures. Uh, I think you should. I think that having devotions and all that stuff is great. I don't think anyone should ever feel bad about, like, I don't feel if I get this and going and asking someone whose God has given the job of 
Like if if I don't if I if I have a hard time explaining something in the Bible, like then I'm messing up because I literally get paid to do that. I know that sounds weird, but it's like your pastor should know the Bible a lot better than you. It's his job. Like it, it'd be like um, uh, if I hired a plumber to come over and fix something in my house, and I know more about plumbing than him. Like there's a there's an issue here. Like why do why do you not know about plumbing, dude? Like the, you're a plumber. I'm not a plumber. How do I know more than you? Um, so that's part of it too, is that I think that read the scriptures and stuff, but don't lay people I don't think should beat themselves up and feel like they should have all this all this Bible all this Bible knowledge. And also it's a it's not true that the Bible is super simple to understand in all its parts. It's not. It's it's takes years and years and years of study. And I mean I'm sure Tony would agree with this too. Like I still am and I'm not old, but I'm older than I look. Uh, I mean, I'm in my 40s, guys. The but it's taken a lot. It's taken a lot of study um, and a, a lot of work to to get to the point where I feel comfortable um, doing podcasts about the script, about the Bible, and that sort of stuff. And I'm still. I mean, every we you know we. I don't know if you guys know this. So Eric and I host a podcast every week called 30 Minutes in the New Testament. Where we just go through. The Bible, and we're trying, we're going to work all the way through the New Testament, and I do another podcast where I work all the way through the Old Testament, and somewhere, sometime in the next seven years, I'll have commented on the entire Bible. Um, and every episode that I do that, I am figuring more new things out. Um, and I've spent a lot of time, a lot of time in the scriptures, and I still have part, there's still passages that I'm, that I'm like, I'm not, I don't have a definitive take on that particular passage. I'm still I'm still working that one out. And it's my job to to know how to, to do that. So that's another thing too is I I don't think um you should feel too too bad if you're like that's difficult and someone had to explain it to me. That I that's I think that's most people. Well the disciples spent all this time with Jesus, uh like literally in the flesh with him and they would hear him speak the parables and say the exact same thing like what are you talking about? Yeah, they just stopped asking him at some point. They were just like, don't yeah. ask him again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, just a quick story to that. And my, my dad had been a Christian for three decades by the time I was, uh, you know, called into the pastoral ministry. And I think it was just because I was learning so much. He was like, oh, man, I really, you know, I should really read the Bible. And so he, he determined that he was going to read the Bible cover to cover for the first time in his life. Of course, he had read passages, but he's going to do it. And, you know, as is the case, if you've ever done a Bible reading plan, it's one thing to, to say that when you're in Genesis. And it's even one thing to say it when you're in Exodus until after about chapter 25 or so. But, man, when you hit Leviticus, you're like, well, it turns out I don't know what what's going on at all. <laughs> I am totally confused. All I know is there's a lot of blood and guts happening here. And my dad looked at me one day and was like, uh... I don't know, I don't understand anything that I'm reading right now. I'm just reading it to say that I've read it. I'm just digging in to, and hoping that like I'll get it one day. And you know what? There is something to that. Like there's something to kind of sticking to it and reading it. And over time, like God does bring more and more insight through just being in the Word. And that would certainly happen with my father, but it didn't happen overnight. It happened over many years. So, um, so the parables would be like that too, you know. And that's kind of that's partly why we wrote the book was to hopefully get some help there. You know. 
Terry Morgan. I'd just like to share maybe a comment, throw something out there to see what you think about. Um, I think it's possible that part of the reason Jesus spoke in mysteries and parables was to conceal. It was so that it wasn't understood, so that he could be crucified, because that's why he was here, to die for our sins. And you might make the argument that if he had been understood by the people, they wouldn't have crucified him. But then you could turn that around and say that even if we had understood who he was, we still would have crucified him because we didn't want, because again, we want to, we want to be in control and we don't want that gift of grace necessarily. We want to earn it. So. Yeah, no, I think there's some of that. I think that Jesus, the the Pharisees like don't get the parables at all. Um, and I think that's, I think Jesus loved poking the, the Pharisees and confusing them. Uh, so he did a lot of that. Ultimately, like what, what gets Jesus killed, you know, is, is when he comes out and says he's the son of God, right? And when he claims to be the Messiah, then it's all over. And Jesus is on a mission to get himself killed. And you see him do it in stages where he, He'll get a little closer and closer. Now, sometimes he'll be like, hey, don't tell anyone that. It's not time. But when it is time, he just comes out and says it, and he knows that's what's going to get him killed. Because you are right. That's not the Messiah that anybody wanted. They looked at him and said, listen, um, we need a political revolution here, and you're not cooperating with that dream. <laughs> like Because Jesus is completely disinterested in having any political power. And they're like, how are, you, how are we going to have a king like David? I mean, I already talked about this. Um, if you're not going to get involved here, are we going to, are we going to raise an army? Are we going to over, and Jesus, and Jesus over there just like, give the Caesar what Caesar's. And they're like, what? Like, no, that's not what we want. Like, he's just like, pay taxes. And that's not what anyone wants to hear, right? And so. The Nobody cra- wants to hear no, it. No, but I don't no. want to hear it. No. I, I don't want to hear it. I've um, got to hear it very soon. <laughs> that's right. So I think you are right though that, and Jesus says that, like, he does, he does have them concealed on purpose. And I, and you notice that the same thing, Eric did the same thing I do, and, uh, and we do a lot of this in the book too. I think if you just, like, isolate the parable, I don't really, parables, I don't know if you can understand them, because everything that we talked about, we were talking about other passages of scripture, we're bringing doctrines into them. I think if you just, there's a treasure in a field, and then you just take that as a little, a little, like, Aesop's fable or something like that, there's no way to pull all that out of it. What you have to have is the totality of Scripture and then say, what is Jesus saying in this parable based on what I know the other, the other Scriptures say? And so Scripture starts interpreting Scripture. And, uh, and so if Jesus is just there on the, you know, out in the Galilee or whatever and says that, yeah, you're going to be like, what does that mean? Because you don't have Paul over here saying like you were bought with a price and you were, so you, you can't connect these dots because those dots aren't there to connect yet. Something you alluded to in your talk, Dan, that I just want to reemphasize too that might cloud our understanding of the parables or any other part of scripture is we tend to go to scripture with a me-centered, uh, starting point, which is what is this saying about me? What is this saying I need to do? And we need to, back up and go, what is this telling us about God? Uh, that's the prime, he's the primary subject of the book. 
And, uh, you know, I think a lot of the time, and, and you can certainly see this in much of the popular level sort of Christian writing out there, it's all about you, you, you. But that's not the point of the book. The main character is Jesus Christ himself. And so we ought to be going to the scriptures, whether it be the parables or anything else, saying, what is this telling me about God? And then what is God then telling me about me? Like, it's, it's not that you're entirely irrelevant, but you're not the main character. And we just too often want to believe that we're the main character in any sort of movie that we have playing in our mind or story that we read, and we're not. And so that, that is helpful too. Well, you always, you always allegorize stories. And you are always put yourself in a, end up playing a part that you don't play. This is always the case. So you've heard, I mean, David and Goliath is like the classic one, but if it's so somebody will preach a sermon on David and Goliath and they'll be like, now what's the Goliath in your life? It's, you know, it's your marriage. It's debt. It's whatever it is. Uh, and. You know, the five smooth yeah, stones. Yeah, you're gonna get some five smooth stones of something, and we're gonna click. And, and that's just not what that. You're, this is that's not what that story is about. And, uh, and if you were going to allegorize it, because God is a storyteller, and he's telling you a story. Like what is actually going on there is that uh, you're the scared Israelites who are going to be destroyed by the Goliath of sin, death, and the devil, and you need David to come and fight for you and kill that thing. Like Jesus is always David. I mean, he is literally the son of David. And so you're not that you never get to be David. You never get to be David. And the only story that you get to be David in is when he's like, you know, when he's that, when he's like with some other dude's wife or whatever, that you can be David in that story. But all of the ones that you would like to be David in, you don't get to be David in those stories. Those are all Jesus. And so, uh, time and time again, we're, we are not the hero. We're the one that needs saving. We're the sinner. If you're gonna allegorize text, that's what it is, and and it's hard to get over like reading the scriptures that way because you'd be like, I just want to be like Gideon, you know, and uh, you're like, well, too bad, Jesus gets to be like Gideon. You got to be like this schlep over here, like that's and that's how it goes. 